The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome. Today, we're talking about tarpon, magnificent silver kings of Boca Grande, in a conversation on conservation. With me is Lou Hastings, Executive Director of the Boca Grande Camp Chamber of Commerce. Lou, hi. Hey, Rob. I'm great. It actually feels starting to feel more like Florida up here, uh, up in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Although when I was down seeing you, it felt more like Cambridge down there. Yeah, it was a little chilly here for a while, um, but it, we're starting to warm up now. Somebody said he put his socks on for the first time all winter or something. <laughs> he got shorts on, but he got his socks on, too. <laughs> it happens down here, too. But I want my friends to know that I wasn't basking in wonderful weather when I was down there. You know, they get envious of that. Um, and, and are you calling us from your office? Yes, as a matter of fact, I am calling you from Boca Grande as we speak. And... Um, so as I recall, you've got this big fish in your office there on the wall that is a tarpon. We sure do. Um, the one on the wall in my office is um, is rather large. Uh, it was caught in 1983 down here right off of uh, Boca Grande and Boca Grande Pass by one of our local captains, and it weighed 234 pounds. Um, and the Florida state record is actually 246, so not too far off. So if people are interested in sustainable fishing for big fish, I recommend you stay tuned to this program. Lou, tell us about the tarpon. Well, the, the tarpon, uh, the fossil records have actually shown that tarpon have been swimming in our oceans since prehistoric times, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 million years. Um the uh, the largest tarpon tend to be females. Um, so, um, and in one spawning season, a female can produce from 4.5 to more than 20 million eggs. Um, we are kind of the, the the tarpon hub here, if you will. Uh, the tarpon capital of the world is what Boca Grande is known as, uh, and that is because they come here primarily in May, June, and July to spawn. So you're at the mouth of an estuary, right? And they all go in there or something? Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, the juvenile tarpon go into the estuary. So what they do is uh, tarpon are pretty prevalent from South America all the way up around the Gulf Coast, up around Florida, and can be found even as far north as the Chesapeake Bay. 
mm. uh, up, up near where you are. And, um, and there are very few estuaries that are kind of central to where tarpon choose to grow, uh, migrate to, uh, spawn in. And we're not exactly sure where they actually spawn, probably about 100 or 200 miles offshore in the Gulf of Mexico. But certainly they are drawn back as larvae into our estuary system to to grow and and thrive until they can go back out into the ecosystem. And they sure like your neck of the woods. They do. They like uh they like this area in southwest Florida. Uh we certainly have our share of mangroves uh which helps protect them. They go back into the estuary system and pretty much stay there for a few years until they're big enough to get out there in the open ocean and fend for themselves. But they're very slow to mature. It takes the tarpon about 8 to 10 years to reach sexual maturity. So um, they're a long-lived fish as well. Um, We found evidence of tarpon living upwards to 80 years of age. Wow. So tarpon tarpon live a long time, um, but they are slow to grow. And what do they like to eat? Well, they do like to come to Boca Grande Pass. We are the the deepest uh, natural pass in in Florida, or one of the deepest natural passes in uh, in the state of Florida. And the the pass itself is just about a mile square. So when the the current starts running in the spring, it runs all kinds of bait fish through Boca Grande Pass. So mm-hmm. tarpon like to come there and stack up and and have a buffet, if you will, on on uh, pass crabs, which are little silver dollar sized uh, crabs that come rushing through, and and bait fish like threadfin and squirrel fish and uh, just about any kind of small fish that rushes through there in the spring tide. The tarpon is there with their giant maw. Uh, they're feasting before they go offshore to spawn. You said stack up. That sounds like pancakes. Yes. As a matter of fact, they do. They'll (laughs) stack up uh, by the thousands in in Boca Grande Pass. Boca Grande Pass goes down about 60 to 80 feet. Um, But, you know, like I said, we're talking about a very, you know, pretty thin uh, pass. So they're stacked up pretty pretty tight in there in the spring. You're talking about a wall of open mouths across the opening there. That's exactly right. <laughs> tough to be a crab in that neighborhood. It is tough to be a crab. Uh, you have to be pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, um, but well, tell us a little bit about the chamber. Um, that has, you've got quite a bit of commerce too. It's grown up around tarpon and stuff. But tell us about the Chamber of Commerce first. Absolutely, being um, the Chamber of Commerce here in the Boca Grande area, it has been one of our economic drivers, I would say. Uh, recreational fishing in general in in Florida is about an eight billion dollar a year business, and. Uh, you know, it's pretty important to the chamber to make sure that we have a healthy economy and a healthy fishery to to continue that. And I can tell you that uh, recreational tarpon fishing, uh, in a study that was done in 2009, fed about $110 million into the local economy. That's just residential 
fishermen. That doesn't include uh, tourism. So you can imagine that recreational fishing, and in particular tarpon fishing, is pretty important to the commerce of the area. Absolutely. This is uh, people coming to – this is money that's being received by the boat captains and, and a purchase of equipment and so forth. Absolutely, and all the all the residual uh, impact that it has. You know, they have to find places to stay. They mm-hmm. have to pack up on supplies. They have to um, buy fishing equipment. Um, they are here to eat in on the in the restaurants. You know, so there there's quite a bit of residual impact economically to have this being a, a the tarpon capital of the world. Right. Right. So it's pretty important for us to, to make sure that we maintain that. Yes. Yes, and, and so it's important that, you know, people have a quality experience so that they will spread the word and come keep coming back. Absolutely. And, in fact, uh, they have been. Uh, the first tarpon was caught on, uh, on hook and line in 1885 in Charlotte Harbor, right here um, not too far from where my office is. And people have been coming down here with the birth of uh, big game sport fishing. So people have been coming down ever since. People like um, uh, Ernest Hemingway and mm. Zane Gray and Teddy Roosevelt and uh, Thomas Edison. They've all been coming down here. And I saw that the train tracks go right into town there, so I understand that at one time, there was a rail going in to bring uh, phosphorus out of the area, and then they would start bringing fishermen back into the area. I guess. Yeah, actually, they brought uh, they brought phosphate to the to the port Port Boca Grande down at the south end of the island and loaded them onto ships. Hmm. Oh, that's yeah, because I I couldn't see where you'd find it on little Boca Grande, but that was right. No, it that was a terminal for the ships. Yeah, that makes sense. Because we were, you know, one of the largest natural passes, so those big ships, those big phosphate ships, mm. could actually make it through. Um, and there used to be an old phosphate dock there where uh, where they would load it onto the ships. And the last train left out of here in 1979. Wow, as recent as that. Holy yeah. Smokes. And and now it's all been pulled up, and it's a wonderful bike path, I guess. Right now, it's been uh, it's been conserved by the Gasparilla Island uh, Conservation and Improvement Association, um, and they they pulled up the track, and they laid down a a bike path and a golf cart path that runs from one end of the island to the other for everyone to enjoy. So, what else does the Chamber of Commerce do besides put up statues of tarpon? <laughs> besides putting up statues of tarpon, uh, we are here to promote and encourage the businesses of the area to to thrive and succeed and just to promote them and and make them even more successful than they already are and how we do that is to to maintain Boca Grande in the way that that people enjoy seeing it you know old florida mm. uh, that that's what they're coming down here to experience so we have to make sure that we maintain that environment for them, not only for the residents, but the, the visitors as well. So, And that's the way they want it, and that's the way they want to keep it, and that's exactly what we're going to do. So you won't find a, a chain restaurant on this island. You won't find a, a chain store on the island. 
so any place that you go and enjoy uh, dinner or lunch or breakfast or shop at, uh, it will be a unique experience. Yes, I had wonderful dinners there. I don't want to play favorites to tell you which ones I ate at, but they were all excellent. <laughs> I can tell you that I've I've enjoyed every single one of them. Well, you are the director of the chambers. So. <laughs> um, and I also understand you've been going into schools. Yes, as a matter of fact, uh, we have. Uh, I have teamed up with uh, a, a local production company, uh, two gentlemen. Uh, Sean and Brooks Paxton, who are brothers, um, and they they really started conservation of uh, sharks down here in Southwest Florida, and I really liked the message that they were promoting. And um, while we we've always been a catch and release um, promoting the, here at the chamber, um, there was something more that they were doing. Uh, and they were doing educational outreach about how important it was for shark conservation. So we decided that we were going to team up. Uh, you can call it the Shark Tarpon Alliance, if you will, um, with the help of the Guy Harvey Ocean Foundation. And uh, we kind of met each other and talked, and um, I helped uh, them in their tournament, um, which they actually went out and, and helped scientists tag sharks, and it was a catch and release. Instead of dragging that shark back to the dock and hanging it up by its tail, um, you know, we were trying to promote catch and release. So I thought that was a great, a great thing to model, great thing to go out and talk to people about. So we started going out to schools, and we started here on Boca Grande. We have the Island School here that uh, serves kindergarten through fifth grade, and we brought a program to them talking about how they are going to be the next stewards of this environment and why catch-and-release fishing is so important to their backyard. And trust me when I tell you that not only did they get it, but they taught us a thing or two. Um, they're growing up here, so they know more about this fishery than, than some of us uh, old-timers do. That's great. They reacted very, very uh, – enthusiastically about it. I have to tell you that. So uh, that's just the beginning. We're going to continue to go out and, and speak at other places. Um, I Next week, I actually have an opportunity to go out to uh, Palm Island Resort and speak to students from uh, Purdue University about conservation, education, and commerce and how strategic partnerships can help in all of those areas. Yes, yes, it's, it's really great that um, people are catching on to what you're talking about and inviting you to get out there and, and spread the word. It's been a lot of fun um, actually learning about everything. Uh, certainly it was a steep learning curve for me moving here four years ago uh, to Boca Grande from, uh, from up in your neck of the woods. Uh, we won't say where, but uh, we'll say <laughs> I might be somewhere near New York. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it, like I said, steep learning curve, but it's been very enjoyable to, to see a community get behind their, their backyard, yes. you know, their, their marine environment. So they are, they are committed 
to making sure that we create and maintain this fishery. That is so important. Um, tell us a bit about uh, what, what are the sharks that you see around uh, Boca Grande? Well, I've seen personally... Um, well, the tagging program was tagging a lot of yeah. sharks, right? Yeah. I, I've seen a couple of hammerheads, a um, couple of bull sharks, a uh, lemon shark. Um, that's probably all I've personally seen, but we have a, a few different types around here. And, again, they've been coming here for millions of years, and mm. it's just part of the cycle. Uh, well, this is a great place to feed. Yeah, I've heard it's a good place for hammerheads, and maybe because they like tarpon or something. They they do like tarpon, um, so they do come here uh, for the tarpon, and, you know, it's all about the circle of life. Wow, you've got such spectacular marine life there. I don't know how you guys got so lucky, but... um. We do have quite an amazing coastal marine environment here, um, which is why it's so important for us to make sure that we protect it and we preserve it and we take care of it. Um, it's not enough for us to be proper stewards. It's passing it on to the next generation. That's the important part. And that's why we're going out and talking to people as much as possible. And it's so great you're leading by example. Instead of like giving up on the adults and just going into the kids, you are you know leading by example for kids to follow on how to practice proper stewardship of this magnificent resource. That uh, is, that's a challenge in, in and of itself, I can tell you. Um, to try yeah, we'll and, get to that. Um, <laughs> we'll get to some uh, not such great uh, uh, examples of what could, what's being, you know, how things are being treated out there. Uh, but uh, I'm talking with Lou Hastings, and Lou is the executive director of the Boca Grande Chamber of Commerce. And after this break, Lou will tell us how people can uh, learn more about his work and get in touch with him. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're talking with Lou Hastings. He's the executive director of Boca Grande Chamber of Commerce, and we're talking about the magnificent silver kings of Boca Grande, the tarpon. And um, Lou, you've been saying fabulous things. Oh, you started the program with describing the tarpon in your office. Uh, how can people find your office, and how can they find you and and uh, communicate with you? Certainly. Um, you can call me at the Boca Grande Area Chamber of Commerce office at area code 941-964-0568, or you can go to uh, bocagrandchamber.com, and you can see a little bit of the history of the island there. Um, a lot of our member businesses are on there. Uh, you can see a lovely video of our beautiful island. Our island is uh, seven and a half miles long and three-quarters of a mile wide at its widest point. Um, so one of those beautiful little gems uh, right stuck out in the middle of, uh, you know, the Gulf of Mexico and couldn't be uh, in a more beautiful place. Or you can go to worldsrichesttarpon.com and learn more about uh, about tarpon. Yes, and we will talk some about the World's Richest Tarpon Tournament. Uh, but first, I, I wanted to ask you a bit about there's a tarpon tagging program that's mm-hmm. been underway, and this is, I understand, helping you to learn more about the juvenile tarpons and, and what habitats, what their habitat needs may be. Absolutely. Uh, very close by the island, right off island, in fact, there is a, uh, an organization called the Lemon Bay Conservancy that began in 1971, and their primary mission is to literally purchase land that um, that is falling into, I guess, disrepair or or before it gets built upon, um, and and conserve it. It's a, you know, Lemon Bay Conservancy, and, and they're located in mm. in Lemon Bay, and they have a preserve that is a former golf course. And they call it the Wildflower Preserve, and it was they had an opportunity to purchase this a number of years back, and and while they were restoring the area out there, they discovered that they had juvenile tarpon out in this um, in these tidal ponds and estuaries out there. So what they did was they contacted Moat Marine Laboratory, located here in um, in Sarasota. Uh, which is the world-renowned uh, science and, and education laboratory and aquarium, and they reached out to the Bonefish and Tarpon Trust mm. and said, hey, we have juvenile tarpon out here. Maybe we can all get together and and work together as partners and and see what 
we can learn about how they're using this habitat. And Bonefish and Tarpon Trust pretty much took the lead on this. And Dr. Aaron Adams, who is the uh, the director of operations at the Bonefish and Tarpon Trust, has a graduate student out there um, working on her Ph.D., studying these, these tarpon. We're going out there once a month for the study will last for 24 months. It's the only study of its kind in the world that's being done. And wow. we are, we are taking DNA samples from these juvenile tarpon. Uh, we're taking basically a little tiny fin clip and it doesn't hurt the tarpon at all. And just imagine it's like a clipping your fingernail and it'll grow back in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that, that particular fish is fingerprinted, if you will. And we will be able to track that fish if that fish is caught a year from now or five years from now or ten years from now or even 30 years from now. We will know that that fish came out of that estuary, out of that ecosystem. Um, and if the fish are large enough, which is uh, 90 centimeters uh, or more, then we are putting an RFID tag radio frequency tag underneath their skin. Oh, my gosh. Just like you would chip your pet, your dog or your cat. And then there are antenna arrays that are set up in the different culverts and estuary system throughout Lemon Bay. And each time one of these RFID-tagged fish passes through these antenna arrays, they will ping it. And it, they'll be identified by the number associated with that radio tag. So we can see them coming in and out and how they use the habitat. So these kinds of things that we'll learn after 24 months will help us come up with those kind of management plans that will, that will help us create that sustainable fishery so that we don't wreck their environment. So it's kind of a really neat thing to be involved in, and I've been involved with it since last September when they started. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. We go out once a month on Saturday. Um, we do get muddy. We do get wet. Um, but it's, it's a lot of fun. We learn a lot of stuff, and we've tagged a couple hundred tarpon already uh, in this study. So it's pretty neat. So. Do you have, like, a, a radio finder so you track them down to know where they're hanging out and stuff? Yeah, the antenna arrays will, will find out um, whether they're coming in and out of, yeah. of these culverts. And, and it's still too early to tell, but we're finding that they are they're doing this at night a lot. Like, they're oh. leaving and coming back any, anywhere from preliminary re- results, say, from, like, 9 p.m. to even 3 a.m which is kind of strange, you know, maybe they're feeding, who knows? We don't know what that means yet, but, um, but they'll be able to study all that. The scientists at uh, bonefish and tarpon trust and moat marine laboratory. Um, so I'm excited to see where we're going to go from here. Um, yes, you've got to move around the darkness of night. So watch out. You, you bet. <laughs> um, you, you don't have to really watch out about tarpon, but, um, I will tell you that right after we were done tagging this last time, uh, I did see an alligator out there in those in those ponds, and uh, <laughs> I'm glad I, I wasn't in the water when they were. So <laughs> there's signs posted everywhere, beware of alligators. And I said, you know, Lou, are you sure you want to do this? Yes. And the answer, of course, is absolutely. Um, <laughs> the fish comes first. 
You're yeah, expendable. That's right. Exactly. Um, yeah, there was another aspect of the ecology that we didn't get to talk about. I forget what it was. Well, um, I, I can actually yeah. tell you that yeah. um, the, the reason that it's so important that we make sure that we are responsible about how we handle this environment here, this coastal marine environment here, you know, Port Aransas, Texas, was once known as the tarpon capital of the world. In fact, yes. they called it Tarpon, Texas. And, um, you know, was host to uh, presidents and potentates, um, you know, for exceptional tarpon fishing throughout the 50s. And beginning in the 1960s, the Port Aransas tarpon fishery collapsed. And, uh, you know, it, it used to, it used to be, you know, to hear some anglers say, they used to go out there fishing for other things and caught a tarpon every time. And it was almost annoying. Now, if you catch a tarpon out there off of Port Aransas, it makes the newspapers. Mm. And, and that really is a cautionary tale for us because they, you know, no one really took care of that. It was ill treatment of the tarpon population. Yeah. And, and the effects are long lasting because these fish are so long lived and so slow to, to mature. It takes them doubly longer to to replenish that population. So you you've got a combination of the perfect storm here that could be an absolute disaster if you're not careful. Yes, absolutely. And that gets back to your habitat tagging program. Is that you, you know back in the old days you only knew about the big fish and no one saw where the little ones went and and uh, you know what habitats they may need for their survival and nobody knows they just assume they're ubiquitous and everywhere and, and i imagine this tagging program finding out that no there are specific places that they like to go that you wouldn't know if you hadn't asked the fish right and and there are very few of those places that are so critically important to the entire ecosystem mm. of tarp, of the tarpon migration pattern and, and right here in charlotte harbor and Boca Grande is one of them. Yes. So, I mean, that at least we do know. And Florida has lost about 50% of its mangroves. And mangroves, of course, are critical to the ecosystem here and critical to tarpon. And, I mean, that's where they go. They go back into the, into the mucky waters in these back culverts where there's very low oxygen. Well, tarpon is a unique fish because it is one of the only fish, one of the only marine species that can breathe air using the swim bladder as an auxiliary breathing organ. So, so they can go back there where there's low oxygen and fewer predators, and that's how they're able to survive. And if you look at the east coast of Florida, all those mangroves are gone. Because we wanted to build hotels and and you know these giant mansions on the beach and yeah. condos and and that's no more and it's never coming back never never going to come back so we are lucky here on in Southwest Florida that we have those habitats still available we need to make sure that we protect them that's or amazing else, the way that. Yeah. The tarpon often looks like he's frowning because his lips are kind of higher on his face than most fish. It must be because he's trying to gulp air. 
Right, and and they do go bare, um, and they they've got a uh, a projecting upturned lower jaw that contains a, a bony plate. So yeah, they, they've they've got that that maw that can open up and eat all the bait fish. It's like a trap door; it just drops open and in goes the bait fish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard descriptions of them tarpon rolling to gasp air. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, remarkable animal. I guess they're they're just exerting. Well, you say it's because low oxygen in the water. It's not because they're exerting themselves too hard or something. It's um, right, and and they'll do it out in in open water as yeah. well. Um, but they do it in the backwaters in the backcountry because there's hardly any oxygen in that water back there. You know, the the muckier the the messier the water is, the better. Yeah. Um and, and you know, then their predators are just probably those alligators and maybe a few birds. Uh but other fish are not gonna be back there because they can't they can't hack the environment. Right. No Tarps, unfortunately can. So um you know, they're not edible, although the Calusa Indians thousands of years ago uh did eat tarpon. Um and some tribes in South America still do. Uh, but they're very bony, oily fish. Yeah. So so they're really not uh, commercially viable. Uh, at one point, they even tried to grind them up and uh, turn them into dog food um, and, and pet food, but the pets wouldn't even eat it. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, you know, lucky thing for the target. Yeah. So, you know, they, they really should be a, a catch-and-release only uh, game fish, and we really need to take care of them. Um, they're magnificent, yes. magnificent fish. And all the more reason for your work because they aren't on the radar of, you know, fishery management councils because of um, they're not a commercial eating fish. Right. And, right. and so it's good that um, you guys are watching out and bringing attention to them because it's so easy to overlook the ones that have no commercial and have that kind of, you know, uh, value for eating uh, as opposed to all the value that you're getting from the tarpon, financial value. Right. And and another tragedy about this, too, Rob, is, you know, we didn't know until fairly recently how old they got to be and and how slow they were to mature. So everything that, that we've done 40, 50, 60 years ago, we're paying the piper for now. Wow, that's right. You know, so, you know, we haven't replenished that that population. So we're seeing less and less tarpon. And if you ask a guide who's been out there for 10 years, he might say, I don't see any difference at all. But if you ask those guides who are out there fishing 40 and 50 years um, or or generational fishermen that are fishermen that are from around here, They'll tell you absolutely. There's a difference. There's a change. Mm. For the worst, and there are fewer tarpon now than then. Absolutely, yeah. and there may be they they may still come by the thousands, but it's not the tens of thousands like yeah. it used to be. Yeah, so that's probably. Why do you think that is? Well, I think there are many pressures on the fishery, including fishing pressure. Wow. So, so there's, there's in addition two different to habitat things. loss, you've got some fishing pressure, right? And uh, and you have to you have to manage it, but you should be able to police that yourself. Um, 
by making sure that you are responsible in your angling. So you have to think, how can I go out and enjoy the research, uh, the resource and, and fish, but how can I do it responsibly? Well, catch and release is a no-brainer. Mm. Um, and, and secondly, you need to make sure that you put as little stress on the fish as possible during the, that catch and release process. So you want to make sure that, you know, back in the old days when they didn't have the, the, the same equipment that we do now, the more advanced equipment, it could take you over an hour, sometimes two, to pull in one of those giant fish. And that, that fish is exhausted. And probably if it doesn't die from the stress, um, it will get, uh, it, it will get eaten by shark. Right. So, you know, you have to, you have to think about now getting the fish to the boat and releasing it as quickly as possible is probably the best management practice if you're going to enjoy the resource and create a sustainable fishery. So that is what really our message is to a place where the commerce of recreational fishing is so important. So, so if people are, yes, if people are coming here specifically to fish, they need to see, and again, as you suggested, lead by example and say this is the way you should do it um, so that we can have this for generations to come. Right. Now, how does this work? You, you're going to need like three people, right? You're going to need someone pulling the fish in and someone ready to un- un- unhook the fish and someone else to uh, observe how big a fish is or something. Well, um, right now, like the tournaments that, that we have here out of the chamber, yeah, and and we have two of them. We have a ladies' day and a, and one called the world's richest tarpon tournament. Um, they are all release, so size does not matter in this case. Oh, okay. So you don't um, need to get a photograph of all the fish. Yeah, you do not. It, you know, it'd be nice to have a photo and say, "Hey, that's the fish I caught," but it should be most releases should determine. Who, who is the best fisherman or, or captain, right? Oh, right. You, Most you would of them. Yeah, the biggest number. Right. Yeah. yeah, how many you caught as opposed to other teams. Right. So, so that's how we're measuring the winners of these contests now. Because in the, in the old days, it used to be the biggest fish, and you used to have to weigh it. So right. when you caught this fish and you drag this fish through the water and you thump it up on a weigh scale, um, and then you took your pictures with it, and you dropped them back into the water, these fish were probably half dead, if not already dead. Mm. Um, And the largest fish are the row-bearing females. So you have knocked out a lot of juvenile tarpon that will not be born. Oh, my gosh. Um, Lou, we have to take a break. Um, Sure. I hate to do that, too. You just caught the fish, and I'll release it before we take the break. We don't want it being held too long. Um, right. and, okay, <laughs> we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, I'm talking with Lou Hastings about uh, the tarpon and we're talking about the world's greatest tarpon tournament. And Lou is emphasizing that the goals of the tournament are first conservation, education, and then sportsmanship. And the conservation rests on releasing the fish as quick as possible so it's stressed as little. And the sportsmanship is instead of having the tournament be uh, the biggest fish caught is instead, you know, how quickly do they release the fish and so they can catch the most fish? Have I got that right? That's correct. Uh, Rob, you know, that's, that's always should be your goal is to release the fish as, as safely and as quickly as possible. You, you have to be worried about the, the post-release welfare of the tarpon. So that is how we structured our rules for this world's richest tarpon tournament. Um, and, and it does focus on the, the primary mission of conservation, education, and sportsmanship, and that's how we achieve those goals. We, we actually have, you know, your, your angler will be using heavier tackle to bring in this, this big fish to the boat in a relatively quick manner. That's why it has to be heavier, so you can pull it in quicker. Exactly. Instead so of that playing fish it is not... Right. Instead of playing it and, and having this fish tire itself out, you bring it to the boat. The, uh, the mate or the captain will grab onto the leader. That is an official catch. Then pop that, uh, leader off that fish and that fish goes free. It's never taken out of the water. If you want a picture of it, 
you better take a picture of it while it's in the water. You better have a third um, standing by with a camera. Yeah. You, you, you bet. You, you, you got to be Johnny on the spot with the uh, with the cannon. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, and that is in in the best interest of the welfare of that fish um, and, and having that fish go free. And taking out the, the largest fish um, is is not a good practice for a sustainable fishery, certainly not for these tarpon. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that that's what we're trying to promote. Um, and you, you can, you know, you can look at it uh, many different ways uh, about how it brings economy to the area. Um, but, uh, you know, you'll, you'll only have a certain amount of that if you're not responsible in the way that you're operating your tournament. Well, so you also limit the number of boats. That's, that's correct. We will limit the number of entries. Um, in fact, we have a 50 boat limit in our, in our tournament. So I had a phone call from, um, a nationwide magazine a couple of weeks back that called me and said, Lou, we, we heard about this tournament and, uh, we think that you're going to get a lot of participation. How many boats are you going to have at it? And I said, 50. And they said, 50? What if I told you I could get you 100? And I'd say, and I told them, then I would say that you're missing the point. Mm-hmm. Because it's not about the money, it's about the mission. So while the money is important, we need to make sure that we stick to the mission now so that that, that money can keep coming. And the mission is the sustainable fisheries. Exactly. So the exactly. sustainability is more important than the cash value. Absolutely. Right. The cash now value. Yeah. Yeah. Because that cash will come year after year after year if we are smart about it, if we are proper stewards. And that's the goal. And and to teach enough people that um, I, I couldn't thank you enough to have me on the show today to be able to do that, to speak to a bunch of people about how we do that. I went last year to St. Petersburg to the uh, Coastal Cities Summit in uh, in St. Pete put on by the International Ocean Institute and talked about just that and getting a chance to speak in these schools and every chance I get to speak to anybody. This is the message that we're trying to promote. And what you're doing is so important because some people – think that they can just go to Boca Grande and, and jig up fish and catch them any which way. And, and you're showing alternative, right? We hope that this is an alternative that people will find attractive. And um, basically we're saying this is the way that, that we would like to see our resource handled. And if you don't respect that, then, you know, maybe you should think about going someplace else. Um, to fish. Because you guys bait I, your hook, I guess, and some people don't. Right. Um, we do. We use live bait. Um, that is what the tarpon is here for, and that's why they stack up in Boca Grande Pass, to, to be able to eat the live bait that comes flushing through there. So it only makes sense, and it seems to be fair play to me, to uh, to feed them what they normally would feed on, rather than using anything artificial. Yes. There's so, sportsmanship again, you know. 
Exactly. What a better experience for someone who, you know, for everybody to have a real, it's a real fishing experience when you get to bait the hook and set the hook and all that. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's what you're going for. That's, that is the experience. Exactly. Uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't come here and, and fish in, a, in an aquarium. You know, what fun is that? Your, your fish are, yeah, are, are stuck pretty much and, and use a net or whatever you're going to use. Um, you want to be sporting about it. That's what they did a hundred years ago. Um, that's the way that we should do it now. Um, only instead of hanging them up at the docks, which they used to do, um, now we know better. And we don't hang them at the docks. We let them go right at the boat. And it's so great that you limit the boat, so it's not going to be a situation where you can literally walk across the top of the boats to the other island. No, 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 no. Um, and that was another uh, thing that we did with our tournament. We opened up the boundaries so that it's not limited to just Boca Grand Pass, where you're sitting on top of these fish. You know, you can spread the boats out over Charlotte Harbor, over Boca Grand Pass, and, and, and test different areas. Really show your skill mm. as a captain and as a fisherman and go out there and compete against one another and, and do it fairly. But be fair to the fish, too. You know, you can't just race over a pot of fish. You know, we have a lot of electronics these days that tell us where the fish are. And you continue to run over these pods of fish, you're going to start to make them change their patterns uh, after a while. And yeah. that could be detrimental to the fishery as well. And one of the the things that the, the old-time guides do here and have done for generations is fish at the top of the, at the top of the tide, drift their boat through the pass with the live bait. They don't get a hit they will go back around and get on the back of the line mm. and fish through again. Uh, you know, this this was sportsmanship. Huh. You, you know what I mean? Um, and, and, man, we would love to see that happen again. Absolutely. You know, pe- people be responsible not only to the resource but to one another and respectful and, and not be uh, sore losers and be gracious winners and, you know, Everybody should be able to come here and enjoy the resource, but we're just asking that you do it in a responsible manner. Yes. So more can do it, and it can be forever done. Exactly, exactly. And and they've enjoyed it for generations, like I said. Um, We've learned a lot of things. Um, First and foremost, do not hang that fish at the end of the uh, dock. Um, Let's not gas the fish because that's another thing. If you gaff that fish in that under part of their jaw, that's part of the suction mechanism that they use to feed. You know, if you're uh, sticking a gaff through there to drag this fish up out of the water for a picture, you are you're injuring that fish. You're puncturing it with a hole in his lip, and yeah, right, absolutely, and not in his lip, and his pretty much in his gullet, right in his gullet, yeah. So uh, you're really you're putting that fish in a in a bad position um, to be able to survive. Yes, uh, we're, we're running short on time, and I wanted you to tell us a bit about um, what you're doing with the Guy Harvey Foundation um, uh, for the concert that they're putting together. Absolutely, over in uh, Fort Lauderdale, 
um, on April 13th and 14th, there is a music festival. It's uh, Rock the Ocean's Tortuga Music Festival. And Kenny Chesney, Eric Church, uh, Eli Young Band, and a bunch of other bands will be over there. And basically what they're trying to do is to pair music with meaning by raising awareness about marine conservation. So I have the opportunity to go over there and speak to um, thousands of people that will be there to see the, these musicians. And I'm, I'm so thankful to the Guy Harvey Ocean Foundation for allowing me this opportunity to well, go tell over us there. The story, tell us a story about how you want to be in the tent in the conservation section. Oh, yeah, right. They have a uh, conservation village um, where you'll be able to go and visit um, places like Moat Marine Laboratory and Bonefish and Tarpon Trust and, and other uh, conservation organizations. Um, and, and I had asked for a, a booth in there, and, uh, and they told me that they were, they were full. Um, but uh, do you want an opportunity to go up on the big stage and, and have this, uh, this film, actually, that we have in production right now, I should probably talk about, uh, yes. That you could see if you go to uh, com and right on the home page, uh, look at Rich History, Priceless Future, the Tarpon of Boca Grande Pass. Um, they're going to play that on the big screen, and then I'll be able to talk about the, the mission of conservation, education, and sportsmanship. But check out that trailer, which will be a one-hour uh, full special documentary uh, that will be completed by this May. The trailer is phenomenal, and we're all shocked to learn about Michelangelo knew about tarpon. That's right. Five centuries ago, uh, Michelangelo painted a, uh, a tarpon, we believe, on the uh, ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Um, and uh, I, I challenge everyone to Google it. And uh, <laughs> it is, sure enough, there's Jonah and the big fish. And uh, if that fish doesn't look like a tarpon, I don't know what does. Yeah, I look at it. So, it totally looks like a tarpon. It looks like no codfish or any other kind of fish I can think of. Absolutely. I think that's a fun fact that a lot of people don't know. That's that, that little fun fact. Um, so all the more reasons to um, tell us where you, where you go to go again for um, this good stuff. Absolutely. Go to uh, worldsrichesttarpon.com. Uh, for the latest on what we're doing news stories wise and, um, and for the tournament and the, the mission and go to bocagrandchamber.com to see that trailer. I think you're going to like it. Um, it definitely gives you an overview of what this entire special is going to be about. And we've got a, a great lineup of people that are going to be in this special. So I can't wait for all of you to see it. It's going to be on a commemorative DVD. Absolutely. Now, if you like this program, please, Facebook your friends, you know, spread the word, spread the program around so other people can hear it and catch on to how there is a sustainable way to do fishing. It doesn't hurt the fish and is of a spectacular experience. Uh, Lou, thank you so much for taking the time to tell us about Tarpon, Magnificent Silver Kings of Boca Grande, and a conversation on conservation. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Lou, again. And Thank you all for listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Until next time, remember, same thing that we do every day, try to save the world. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Drop the
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Family care.